thank you again for your prayers, uh, not only during my illness, but as we made preparation for the meeting. Thank you so much. Psalm 61, let's begin reading with verse number 1. The Bible said, Hear my cry, O God, attend unto my prayer. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For thou hast been a shelter for me and a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. I will trust in the covert of thy wings, Selah. For thou, O God, hast heard my vows. Thou hast given me the heritage of those that fear thy name. Thou wilt prolong the king's life and his years as many generations. He shall abide before God forever. O prepare mercy and truth which may preserve him. So will I sing praise unto thy name forever that I may daily perform my vows. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this great privilege. I ask you now, Lord, to help us. You know my desire, Lord, the burden of my heart is to help your people. And Lord, there's no doubt about it, we're a needy people. I pray you would give us what we need. And then, Lord, give us direction and give us courage that we might do what it takes to be drawn closer to you. Change us tonight by the power of the Word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you can be seated. Notice, if you will, the last phrase in verse number 2, where the psalmist said, Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Now, most Bible students agree that this psalm is written by David. It is probably written after the rebellion of David's son by the name of Absalom. This song or song is one that is used during worship. These thoughts were obviously on David's mind during the trial with his son who betrayed him. The word rock appears 119 times in the Bible, with only 13 of those being uh, in the New Testament. Let me point out, if I could, in the text... Uh, three things that I believe God would use to help us. First of all, look in verses 1 through 4, and we see the experience of problems. Now, it's good for us this evening to recognize that all of God's people deal with problems. One of the easiest things for us is to get the idea that when we're going through a problem that nobody else really is or nobody else really has. And very often the reason for that is that we don't really understand or recognize what other people's problems are. Very often something that is a problem for you may not seem like really much of a problem for me. Or what seems to be a problem to me may seem irrelevant or unimportant to you. But I'm glad to report to you tonight that whatever burdens us, whatever is heavy for us, matters to the great God that we serve. So notice the experience of problems. First of all, in verses 1 and 2, the psalmist 
deals with the desperation of his experience. Notice in verse 1 the severity of his desperation. He said, hear my cry. In other words, the psalmist is uh, weeping. He's crying out. He's begging. And he's asking God just to hear. Now, why would the psalmist say this? I believe with all of my heart, as hard as it is for us to comprehend, the pastor mentioned even last night about the Lord and how David was a man after God's own heart. And as hard as it is for us to realize or comprehend, uh, everybody at times feels like God is not interested. Now, can I say this? After years of serving God, after reading the Word of God, and, and, and having the privilege to walk with the Lord, I know in my mind, and I even know deep down in my heart that the Lord cares, and He's interested. I'm not sure exactly why that has no effect sometimes on the fact that I really feel that God is not listening. So we see the severity of his desperation. Hear my cry. It's almost like an accusation. Have you ever found yourself at such a point of desperation that even though your desire was to be respectful, you almost found yourself accusing the Lord of not listening? He said, hear my cry. Then notice the supplication in his desperation. He said, hear my cry, O God, attend unto my prayer. So it's almost as if we can see the psalmist as he says, hear my cry. Oh, Lord, answer my prayer. Oh, God, please. Hear my cry. Oh, my heart's broken. I'm going through a problem. I don't understand. I can't figure it out. I can't even explain it. I can't tell anybody about it. Did, did you ever kind of feel like maybe folks were fussing at you a little bit? Maybe even sometimes you're fussing at yourself a little bit because you're burdened or you're broken and, and when the pastor says, does anybody have a prayer request, you don't really say anything. And then, and then somebody may say, well, folks want to help you pray if you'll tell us uh, about your burden or something. But did you ever get to the place where you really wasn't sure exactly what was wrong? And if you knew what was wrong, you weren't sure exactly how to explain it. So we see the severity in his desperation. He said, hear my cry. The supplication in his desperation. He said, and my prayer. Then notice this. There's the separation in his desperation. Look at the first part of verse 2. He said, from the end of the earth. Well, I cry in vain. What, <clears throat> what are you talking about, David? What are you talking about, David? What is going on you're crying from the end of the earth. I believe with all of my heart the psalmist is identifying or helping us to identify with the fact that when we are going through problems, very often we feel at least somewhat exiled. 
we've been pushed away. You don't want to look at it now, but sometime later, go to Job chapter number 23. <coughs> and the Bible tells us that Job, of course, he has buried his entire family except his wife. He has been stricken with boils from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. And Job finds himself in a point of desperation similar to what we see with David and his love for God. And here's what Job said. Job said, I looked in front of me and I could not find the Lord. He said, behind me. And he was not there. Now, those are fairly normal from time to time for every child of God. We look in the front, look behind, and we don't really see the Lord there. But then he said this. He said, I looked on my left hand, listen carefully, where he doth work. What, what's going on, David? I believe here's what David said, and you and I experience it from time to time. We look in front, we're going through our problems, we feel exiled, we feel like we're calling from a distant land. Like nobody, no matter how loud we yell, no matter how deeply we pray. And here's what Job said. He said, I, I looked on my, in front of me, behind me, and I couldn't find him. He said, I looked to the left where he doth work. How often have you been in such a point of desperation that you needed God so bad, but when you went to church, it seemed like the Lord was blessing on the pew across from you. And, and, and you're kind of perplexed and you don't understand and, and you can't figure it out. You can see God working. But it's just not working with your heart. And then it takes a step for the worse. He said, I looked on the right hand and God hid himself. He said, I looked on the right hand and God had hidden himself from me. God's hiding. And then, and then Job said, well... This one thing I know. He knows the way I take. Though I cannot tell you where God is, He knows where I am. And the psalmist said, Oh, I'm crying from the ends of the earth. I don't even know where I am. I cannot tell you where God is. But hallelujah. The Lord knows where I am. Then notice the sorrow in his desperation. He said, when my heart is overwhelmed. You ever been to the place in your Christian life when you really didn't know what to do? Where you just got to that point 
And David said, I've cried. I've prayed. I'm at the very ends of the earth. And Lord, really, this is more than I can take. My heart is overwhelmed. So we see the desperation of his experience. Secondly, look on down in verse 2, and we see the desire in his experience. He said, here's the answer. I'm over here, Lord, at the ends of the earth. And I don't know what to do. I'm not sure where to take my next step. He's at the ends of the earth. That speaks of a couple things. One of the things it speaks of, it speaks of solitude. Uh, it, it, it speaks of silence. But then it speaks of a darkness. You ever been in the dark, even in a familiar place? But it just, suddenly you weren't sure which way to step. Now, that, that's true for every man who leaves in the morning, and if it's dark when you walk in the house, and you don't cut the light on, you're afraid to step, because you never know if your wife's moved the furniture around. Praise God. Most men are not sure when they walk through the front door if this is really their house. You never know if she's repainted while you were gone. I told my wife, I said, we've lost our baseboards with layers of paint. It's all even now. Woo! <laughs> but David <coughs> finds himself at the ends of the earth overwhelmed. And he's not where, sure where to go. Notice what he said. He talks about the hand of his leading. He said, lead me. Lead me. Now, I mentioned last night Joshua didn't get to come with me this week. Joshua's my traveling buddy. And uh, Joshua is has developmental delays. He has what's called Kabuki Syndrome. He is uh, profoundly deaf, and he has mild to moderate developmental delays. Joshua gets around good, but he's not super steady on his feet. And he's 22 now. He's still kind of short. And so when he and I are traveling, when we're walking places... He's gotten to the age now where he don't want daddy holding his hand all the time, but he does recognize when there are situations that are somewhat dangerous for him, or maybe not dangerous, but he doesn't feel sure about it. And just a few years ago, Pastor, just a few years ago, I noticed that it had been going on for a good long while, but I, I, the, the Lord allowed me to see it and to notice it. And that is when he and I are walking along, and he's being independent, and he's doing his own thing, and that's fine. He's with Dad. He knows everything's fine. He's being independent. He's being the way he's supposed to be. But we're walking along, and when one of those situations comes in view that he's unsure of, I, it caught my attention one day 
because without thinking about it, my hand went back. And without making a sound, his hand went forward to get a hold of my hand. And what Daddy was saying without thinking about it was, this might be a little, you might not be able to handle this. And what he was saying without thinking about it was, hey, thank you for a hand, because I'm not sure about this. Here's what David's saying. He's saying, I'm overwhelmed. I'm at the end of the, I'm calling from the very ends of the earth. Oh, would you lead me? I need a hand. I need somebody to steady me, to touch me. I need somebody to help me. So we see the hand of his leading. He said, lead me. Notice the height of his leading. He said, lead me to the rock that is higher. <laughs> What's the psalmist saying? I don't want to stay here. I don't want to be in this place. Lord, maybe you're teaching me something. Maybe you're showing me something. Maybe, Lord, you're doing something in my life. But, Lord, please, I I don't want to stay here. And I know there's a higher place. So we see the hand of his leading, the height of his leading. But notice, thirdly, the humility in his leading. He said, "This, this place I want to go is higher than I. (laughs) You see, David is a man after God's own heart. David is the greatest king that Israel ever had. But after being betrayed by a member of his own family, his son, whom he dearly loved, David realizes that he has a need that is higher and greater than himself. David comes to the place where he recognizes I don't just desire the things God does for me. I need God. I need not His benefits, but I need Him. So the desperation in his experience, the Desire in his experience. Notice verse 3, the delight in his experience. The Bible said, For thou hast been a shelter for me and a strong tower from the enemy. Two things he said here. He said, Lord, I know I have a shelter. You've been a shelter for me. He said, Lord, I know I have strength because you're my strong tower. Hallelujah. Wait a minute, I'm in this place of exile, this end of the earth. But I tell you what I do know. I do know I have got a shelter and a strength that is available. Look at verse 4, and we see the dedication from his experience. He said, after being here, two things. He said, I want to be dedicated to a property. He said, I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. I want to dedicate myself. He, he said, I don't like it over here at the ends of the earth. Tell you what I'll do. I'm going to hang around your house forever, always. 
I'm going to be there. Can I help you a little bit? I, I didn't really plan on talking about Job tonight. But Job chapter 1 and verse number 5, you'll find this said about Job. Now, there are a lot of wonderful things said about him, but here's what the Bible says. The Bible said that he offered sacrifices, he spent time with God, and he did it daily. Every day in chapter 1, verse number 5. Then he receives that great attack of losing his family. He remains firm, and then he is stricken with boils from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. Now, I don't know how spiritual you feel like you are, but I don't believe anybody would have ever handled it any better than Job did. As a matter of fact, I'm not sure most of us would have handled it as well. But here's what the Word of God said Job did. Chapter 1, verse 5, Job is spending time with God, offering sacrifices every day. He does it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. He does it two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, two months, three months, four months, one year, two years, three. He does it over and over. Now, when you offer those sacrifices over and over, what do you come up with? An enormous pile of ashes on the altar. When we get to chapter 2 and he's stricken with boils from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet, the Bible said he took a potsherd, a broken piece of pottery, and he went, went to set down among, listen carefully, not some ashes, but the ashes. Now, I've heard people make all kind of explanations of why they think he sat down among the ashes. All of them may be credible. But I'm going to tell you what this preacher thinks. I think Job met with God every day in that same place. And when suddenly, like the psalmist, when God seems to be gone, I believe Job said, I'm going to take this potsherd and I'm going to go over there to that place where I've always met with God. And I'm going to stay there till God comes back by. <laughs> now that does a couple things for him. Number one, he's ready whenever God's ready. But number two, he can look over here in the pile of ashes and remember what God did for him there. <laughs> he can look over here and remember what God did for him there. He may look here and remember what God did for one of his children or look right there and remember what God did for his wife. And he's reminded in that place, hey, on that piece of property, he's reminded that God is good. Even though he don't know where God is. He said, God knows the way that I take. When he's tried me, We'll be together again here around this pile of ashes. Preacher, I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm at the point of desperation. You need to dedicate yourself to a property. But then notice this. He dedicates himself to a person. He said, I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. Then he said, I will trust in the covert 
of thy wings. He said, I'm going to dedicate myself to this property, but not only that, a person. I, I want to make sure, Lord, I'm under your wings. I want you to know that you're the one I'm trusting. I'm not trying to figure it out. I know, Lord, I can't fight my battles. So, Lord, I'm going to trust under your wings. Secondly, notice if you will. Now, as I was studying, I saw verses 1 through 4, the experience of problems. And then I looked at verses 5 through 8, and I saw the expression of praise. And we'll get to that in a minute. And as I was studying, Pastor, I was looking at the text, and it was like something was eating at me. I thought, okay, this, this message, this psalm is divided into two sections. I'll deal with the, the problems and the praise and hallelujah. But something was eating at me. And then as I studied more, the Lord said there's more here. It's not just the experience of problems and the expression of praise, but look right at the end of verse number 4. He said, I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. I will trust in the covert of thy wings. Selah. So there's the exercise of pause. He said, um, there's not just the experience of problems and the expression of praise, but there needs to be an exercise of pause in the Christian life. We've got problems, we've got worries, but three things I would point out here. We should first pause for reflection. What does that mean? We're looking back over the problem. Now, you and I know, because we've heard sound Bible preaching, that all problems are not our fault. All pain is not because we did something wrong. But it's always good when we pause for reflection to look back over that problem and see what kind of input I may have had. To either bring it on or to make it worse. And if not, then I can reflect over the fact and can I say this, even rejoice over the fact that even though I had to come through that problem, I didn't cause that problem myself. So there's a pause for reflection over the problem. There's a pause for remembrance over the precepts of God's Word. We need to remember what God gave us while we were in that problem out of His Word. And then there's the pause for responsibility, which speaks of progress. As I come out of this problem, everybody's listening. As I come out of this problem, I need to pause for a minute and kind of look back and gain some responsibility of what I need to do going forward. Because I promise you, if I've been in a problem like that, there are some people I love and care about, maybe some I don't even know, that are in the realm of my influence that I have a responsibility to help. Notice this. A progress in spirit draw closer to the Lord. 
a progress in my service, care for others. And then a progress in my submission, committed to the ministry. Now, I'm called to preach, and God has given me the job of pastoring. Your pastor's called to preach. He's been given the job of being a pastor. The Lord has made that part of his responsibility. Often we're called ministers. Now, we are and we should be, but I don't particularly care for that title in what God has given us to do because I personally believe from the Scriptures that everybody who's saved is to be in the ministry. And everybody who is saved has a responsibility to minister. For the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give His life a ransom for many. So every one of us should, as God brings us through and as God trains us, we should learn to submit ourselves and be committed to the ministry. So we see first the experience of problems, the exercise of pause, sila, stop for a minute, and look back over what God's taught us. And then finally, look in verses 5 through 8, and we see the expression of praise. How often do we say, how often do we hear people pray? How often do we say to ourselves, Lord, help us with this, and we'll thank you. Oh, God, bring us through this, and we'll give you glory. Lord, do this, and we'll praise you. Notice what the psalmist said. He's praising God for hearing. Look at the first part of verse 5. For thou, O God, hast heard my vows. Now, back in verse 1, he's asking God to hear his prayer. But here he says, God, you have heard. I, I want to thank you for hearing me. You heard my vow. You heard what I said. Then notice he's praising God for his heritage. He said, Thou hast given me the heritage of those that fear thy name. So I am a part of that great number. Now, I would never claim to be as great a man as your pastor, but according to the Bible, I've been given the heritage of those that fear the Lord. Amen. 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 See, we go to church, and and it's right to give honor. The Bible teaches us to give honor where honor is due. All but what we've got to realize is that we're all in the same big family. That God, listen carefully, the Lord gives your pastor great truth to give to you. But please understand, if you'll study, if you want it, he'll give you great truth. I remember when I first got saved, got right with God, I started studying my Bible. And the Lord would show me something. And it, it was mostly simple stuff. But the Lord showed it to me. You know, I'd go to church and be talking to some brother. I said, man, let me show you what God showed me. Whoa! Look right here. 
and they go, uh-huh. Yeah, whatever. I said, man, you ever seen that before? Oh, yeah, you liar. Three times a child of the devil. You've never seen that. God showed it to me first. Amen. I, I remember after I got right with God, the church we were attending was laid out just like this and Brother, me and my wife would sit right here. And I'd sit there and, boy, God started working in my life. And I remember that Sunday morning, Pastor, when one of the men came to me. And he said, uh, hey, Brother Lee, would you uh, help us receive the offering next Sunday? I said, sure, I will. And they walked away. And me and my wife weren't married at that time. I looked over at her and I said, you hear that? She said, she'd been in church her whole life. I just got right with God. She said, uh, yeah. I said, uh, think I can handle it? She went, yeah, I think so. I was nervous all week. About Thursday, it hit me, Pastor. It hit me. And I went into a, we were seniors in high school, I went into a shutdown panic. Because it hit me that when the ushers came up to get ready for the offering, the pastor always called on one of them to pray. I said, hey, whoa, whoa, no, mm, hang on. I said, you don't think he's going to call on me to pray? She said, I don't think he'd do that. I said, no, I need a little more <laughs> assurance than that. No, we're going to, I, I'm going to have to call the pastor. I'm gonna have, she said, there's no need to do that. He wouldn't do that. But just get me to help with the offering. And I remember where I stood, Pastor. I stood right here. And they prayed. And I walked over here and waited on the plate. I remember I felt something on my face. And, I, and it was a hot tear. And as that plate was coming my direction, I thought, man, a year ago, you would not have wanted me in 50 feet of an offering plate. And now I'm taking an offering at the house of God. I went all the way down, handed it over to somebody with much more experience than me. <laughs> I walked down the center aisle, sat down beside her, and I went, How'd that do? <laughs> she went fine what, what happened to us what happened to me would I mind now if I'm sitting here 
And Pastor Nick says, hey, we're going to take a special offering for such and such. Brother Davis, would you mind being an offer, helping with the offering? Does that mean as much to me as it used to? The psalmist said, Lord, <laughs> I have the heritage. I'm, <laughs> I'm not as good as this crowd, <laughs> but I'm one of them. <laughs> Woo, praise God, I get to be a part. I may be the least in the family, but I'm in the family. And anything I get to do, you remember, you remember what it used to be like when the pastor would say, turn to Matthew 27, and you didn't know what that meant. She'd get over there, and he'd start reading about the cross or about Calvary. And you look over at your wife and say, he's preaching on Calvary. And you'd sit there. Scooted out there in the pew, listening about Calvary one more time, and those tears would drop on you, my boy. <laughs> and you had it, as far as you know, everything's right between you and God, but you still got to go to the altar because it's Calvary, and it's wonderful, and it's glorious, and it means something to us. Now, Pastor says, turn to Luke 23. Well, <clears throat> preacher's preaching on Calvary again. Guess he didn't have time to study. When did singing Amazing Grace become routine to us? Just, it's just another song. He's praising God for health. Look in verse 6. Thou wilt prolong the king's life and his years as many generations. He's praising God for help. Look in verse 7 and 8 and we're done. First of all, he desires help with a place. He said, he shall abide before God forever. <coughs> he said, Lord, I don't want to be back out there at the ends of the earth again. I'd like to abide in this place close to you forever. He wants help with pardon. He said, oh, prepare mercy and truth. The grace of pardon is mercy. The ground of pardon is truth. He said, I'd like to be pardoned. Prepare mercy and truth. He wants help with performance. Verse 8, So will I sing praise unto thy name forever. May I ask you a question? And I know my, I know my preaching is so simple. But how long has it been since you're, you had a song that was not just words coming out that lined up with the piano and the organ. But you were singing praise. 
somehow you kind of got lost in that song. You know what makes real congregational singing? When each of us is singing to Jesus. Now we're doing it together. But when I get to the place that it doesn't really matter to me if you're doing it or not. <laughs> that I'm not really impressed with how your voice sounds. And I'm not depressed about how my voice sounds. Because I'm not singing for anybody but the Lamb of God. Notice this a little bit. He's asking for help with his promise. He said, so will I sing praise unto thy name forever. Then here he said, that I may daily perform my vows. He said, I'm going to sing praise to you forever. Help me to keep that promise. Help me to just do what I said I'd do. <clears throat> Pastor, I believe that a large number of Christians really have a desire to do right. The majority, I believe. But I fear most of us spend our entire Christian experience with a desire to do something great. And all of us believe that we're going to wake up one day and suddenly it'll be easy to read the Bible, easy to pray, easy to witness, and easy to serve God. And when that happens, when that day comes, boom, we'll finally be there. I'm sorry, but none of that's true. There's a few guys who give us the idea they're to that place, but they're not being honest. Say, so, preacher, I'd love to be something great for God. Man, I would too. But I think what we're missing is we're magnifying the word great. Okay? I don't think there is a great for God. I think we need to just take the word great out of it and we need to be something for God. Whatever that is. Lord, Lord, would you tonight Lead us to the rock that is higher than us. Let's stand, heads are bowed. Father, would you help us now? <coughs> do for us, Lord, what we can't do for ourselves. Manifest your power in each heart, in each life. And Lord, change us for the glory of God. In Jesus' name. While heads are bowed. Nobody's looking around. Pastor's family's going to sing. I want you to obey the Lord.